The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hi, everyone. It's Gene Chatsky. Welcome to Everyday Wealth. So we are coming down to it. The deadline to file your taxes for 2022, it's about a week away, hits on Tuesday, April 18th. Have you finished yet? Well, Whether you have or have not, you might not want to think about taxes for another year, but today we are going to talk about why taxes are likely to go up in the next few years and how you can get help to potentially bring yours down. And that's good news, right? Because this year, for many people, tax bills went up. Why? Well, we hit upon the expiration of some pretty significant pandemic era credits and benefits. For example, the child tax credit, it dropped from $3,600 in 2021 to a max of $2,000 per dependent under the age of 17 in 2022. That's a big deal. Also, there's no longer a $300 charitable deduction that you can take whether you itemize or not. And unfortunately, these expirations, yeah, they are only the beginning of a rise in the taxes that you'll pay over the next few years. For that, you can blame the fact that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act begins sunsetting next year, and many of its provisions are scheduled to expire in 2025. We've also, and this is just reality, folks, we've also got an aging population, inflation, a record national debt, ballooning deficit, and strains on the Social Security and Medicare systems, among other factors. And all of those things, they are likely to send taxes higher too. But just remember, on this show, we focus not just on the big E economy, but on your personal economy. And for the latter, there is some hope if you start planning right now. In fact, now is the perfect time to start doing some tax planning for the future, designing a tax strategy that will reduce the amount that you owe in years to come. To explain how, I want to welcome back Isabel Barrow. Isabel is an experienced planner with Edelman Financial Engines. She is going to walk us through it, how you can potentially reduce your tax burden in the years to come with some thoughtful planning today. Isabel, welcome. Always great to see you. Hi, Jean. Great to see you too. And and good to be back on the show. 
So let's just dig in and let's start by reviewing the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was enacted six years ago, more than six years ago now. Can you walk us through some of the highlights of that legislation? Yeah, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was enacted back in 2017, and it was the biggest overhaul of the tax code in 30 years. According to the Tax Foundation, back in 2019, the act reduced tax liabilities by at least $100 for more than 65% of taxpayers and by more than $500 for over 48% of taxpayers. So, H&R Block ran an analysis around the same time on 2018 returns and found that taxes were lowered overall by about 25% from previous years. So That's the pretty significant. Ta- yeah, the, it is. The average tax cut was about $1,200. So, the you know, ultimately, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered taxes for many people. But as you mentioned, many of those tax benefits um, to help individuals and families are set to expire in the next two years. Looking at the landscape in Congress right now, do you think there's a shot that they could be extended? I mean, would Congress or could Congress come together and give us some more years on this clock? Well, you know, anything is possible. They could, <laughs> right? But I mean, I think it ultimately it seems unlikely just given the the political landscape, the political gridlock that we're facing. And the, the reason is really um, here. The, the tricky part is that the federal government is, is presently running a massive deficit. The deficit in the last fiscal year was more than $722 billion. So it, that's pushed the total national debt up to a record of more than $31 trillion. So the punchline is that the Tax Policy Center estimates that by extending those Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, so if Congress does come together and decide to extend them, that would add another $3 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years. So adding all of that math up, it just seems unlikely that Congress would extend the act. But again, anything is possible. Anything is possible. But right now we've got something like 23 different provisions in this act that are set to expire by the end of 2025. And there's a mix in here. Some are business provisions, some are individual tax provisions. What's it going to look like for you and me and the folks listening when these provisions start to sunset? Well, you know... (laughs) As we know, taxes are super complicated. And yes. <laughs> you, you, right? Um, and seemingly more so every single year. But the overall tax burden that you face is really based on your own individual situation and all of the complexities that underlie that. So, But let me give you just maybe a couple of examples for a few different maybe common scenarios as to how those tax rates could increase and how that could impact you. So Whether you file single or jointly as a married couple, it's likely that your tax rate will go up if the act expires. So, for example, if you file single and you earn between about $108,000 and $182,000, that puts you in the 24% tax bracket this year. But if the act expires... Now, for that same 108000 to about 182000 range, your tax rate now goes up to 28% or an increase of 4%. 
I mean, we're just talking tax brackets here, right? I mean, this is the Uber factor that impacts everything. We're not talking credits. We're not talking deductions. We're just talking your tax rate. I mean, this is big. Just the bracket changes, exactly. And now, let's say you're married, a married couple filing jointly, and you earn between a a combined around 274,000 to up to 364,000, a little bit more. That puts you again in that 24% tax bracket. But if the act expires, that married filing jointly couple, their tax rate goes up to 33%. That's 9% more. Pretty big jump. Yeah. And and talk about a marriage penalty, right? I mean, if you look at the difference there, I mean, single people look like they're getting a jump of 4% more, married couples, 9% more. That That is awfully big. And is it the case that rates are going up for everybody across the board? Actually, no. So for single filers, there are two brackets that could theoretically go down and two that could be unchanged if the act expires. For married couples, there's one. So again, that marriage penalty. So there's one bracket for married couples that could go down um, and two that don't change. But your assumption is correct. For most people, those brackets are going up. All right, let's dig into the provisions, right? We've gone through the rates. Let's dig into some of the other factors that could cause your tax burden, the amount that you have to pay to go up. So let's just start with the standard deduction. So this year for 2023, that standard deduction is $13,850 for a single filer and $27,700 for married couples. If the act expires, that number is reduced by roughly half. Child tax credit is another one that is at risk of being lowered. So in 2023, you get $2,000 per qualifying child with phase-outs at certain higher income levels, uh, $261,000 for individuals and and over $313,000 for couples. But, you know, for income limits or incomes below that, it's around $2,000 per qualifying child. If the act expires, that drops to $1,000 with the income phase-outs beginning much lower at $75,000 for individuals and $110,000 for couples. Another gene is the alternative minimum tax, which we call the AMT. In 2023, the AMT applies to just relatively few taxpayers overall. But if that act expires, the AMT is again going to apply to significantly more people. I am shaking my head here, which our listeners can't see, but I'm shaking it because, first of all, the child tax credit, when it was expanded during COVID, it lifted so many children out of poverty and it is just getting reduced, decimated again. So, you know, personally, I'm a little dismayed by that. But the other thing that changed so dramatically with this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is that people didn't itemize anymore. The standard deduction was so high that it made it a lot easier for people to do their taxes. And it looks to me, or it sounds to me based on what you're saying, like that's going to rewind the clock. Is there any relief at all if this act expires? 
Well, actually, there are there are a couple of areas that may get a little bit more favorable for certain people, and maybe depending on where you live. So the first, though, is mortgage interest deduction. So in 2023, you're limited to taking a deduction for interest on $750,000 of qualifying mortgage debt. If the act expires, that will move up to a million dollars on qualifying debt and $100,000 on qualified home equity interest. So if you have a home equity loan or or, or a HELOC, you can deduct mortgage interest on that up to $100,000. And another way that um, some people may actually benefit from the expiration of the act is for those who live in a state with state taxes. So there's actually some good news for those folks because if the act expires, in in 2023, the SALT cap, um, what's called the SALT, that state and local taxes, are capped at a deduction of a maximum of $10,000. If the act expires, there is no cap anymore. So whatever you're, you're paying in terms of state and local taxes, you'll be now be able to deduct the full amount again. However, those deductions are phased out at some higher income levels. So those are two areas where some people, homeowners and or, or I guess high dollar mortgage homeowners and those who live in taxed states or high tax states, those are two areas where people might get a little relief. But as I explained in some of the, the previous examples, most people who are listening can expect their taxes to go up in the next couple of years if the act expires. And that's really why right now becomes one of the more important times to start thinking about creating or implementing a tax strategy. So now is the time to start to prepare and plan to reduce that tax burden in those coming years. A lot of my former neighbors in New York are going to be very, very happy to see that salt cap go because we all got creamed. But at a high level, when you think about the planning moves that people can make. What are some of the tools that we have in our arsenal? Well, the first thing I would say is is to remember that, listen, taxes are inevitable. Don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog per se. Um, So be careful (laughs) in making decisions. Did you just make that up? Right? No, I've heard that one before. But you do want to think about efficiency. So it's not about letting taxes rule all of your decision making, but rather you know, we know it's going to play a role. So let's have it be as efficient as possible. So thinking about tax efficiency, there are a couple of steps that you can take right now. And so here are some examples. You know, if you're a small business owner, for example, you may consider accelerating some of your income before those tax rates rise in the future. But again, you know, be careful not to take too much because you might end up bringing yourself into a higher bracket because of it. Another one might be defer capital losses or big deductions until you're in a higher bracket in the future or after the rates go back up. Managing income, if possible, manage your income to stay below those higher brackets or maybe through things like adding more to your 401k, for example. If you are in the phase of life where you're taking required minimum distributions, maybe you want to think about, do I need to equalize that? Maybe I need to start taking some a little earlier than anticipated 
to equalize my taxes or to equalize my distributions for taxes to reduce the risk that I have a really big required minimum distribution later when I'm in a higher tax bracket because of it. Another one, Jean, is strategically using charitable donations. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe planning these out for the future or even using a donor-advised fund to add larger lump sums in years where your tax rates would otherwise be higher. And another big one that that is in the news a lot and and that, you know, people ask about quite often is Roth conversions. Yeah. This may be a time in your life or there may be a time where doing some amount of Roth conversions might make sense. But in this case, I think it's really important before you do something like that to talk to your financial advisor, talk to your financial planner, your CPA before you make any of those decisions. But ultimately, you know, we can help with, with some of those concepts. Yeah, no, that's great, Isabel. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there are even ways to combine these strategies, like taking some of those RMDs and using them to make charitable donations. So you get, you know, twice the bang for the buck, actually. We're going to dig into more strategies when we come back. Actually, I understand you have 11 of them, strategies that we can all use right now to cut our taxes, reduce our tax burden in the year ahead. Plus, we've got a tax expert on hand to explain more ways to keep some of your hard-earned money. We're going to take a break, but hang tight. We'll be right back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, They can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. I am talking with financial planner Isabel Barrow. She is making us ready to start planning when it comes to our future tax issues so that we can save a bit of money in the years to come. Because if Congress lets the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expire, which seems very likely at this point, we are all looking at some bigger bills. Isabel, I know you've got a bunch of strategies in your back pocket. I want to unpack them a little bit, go through them in a little more detail than we did at the end of the last segment so that people know a little bit more about the steps that they can take right now. And there are so many strategies for reducing or mitigating or managing tax efficiency, but we're going to go through about 11 right now um, that I can share with you. And I I, want to mention another resource as well. At Edelman Financial Engines, we have a team of in-house tax planners, experts, and CPAs who can help you. And taxes are personal, (laughs) complicated, as we've talked about so many times on this show. 
So our team can help tailor these strategies to your situation and do more things like analyze your tax return that you already filed. And we'll talk more about that later. So we have resources as well if you need more help. Yeah, you know, I just heard from one of my listeners at Her Money. She sent us a letter after listening to the Her Money podcast, and she had taken advantage of our offer for a free review of her finances. And she was just so happy because it was personal for her. The the planner that she is now working with, um, and she switched planners, by the way, but the planner that she is now working with really took her interests and her goals into account. So I don't think it was you, Isabel. I think it was actually one of your colleagues, but thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for taking such good care of the Her Money listeners. And if this audience isn't tuning into Her Money, I hope you'll check that podcast out as well. We're going to group these strategies, as I understand it, into three different buckets so that people can really follow along and not get lost, not get into the weeds, as they say on Top Chef. So let's start with savings, then we'll move to investing, and then we'll talk about spending and withdrawals. Okay, so starting with savings, the first strategy is to maximize your contributions to your 401k, right? Automatically, that can help lower your adjusted gross income. The second strategy is similar, um, which would be to invest in a deductible IRA if your income is eligible. And this may mean for your spouse as well. So think about, you know, making those retirement contributions. The next strategy would be if you're already doing those or you're already maximizing in your 401k or your income is too high for making a deductible IRA contribution, now think about con- consider investing in, in a Roth IRA. Or if your employer is offering it, maybe a Roth 401k is the most appropriate thing for you. Um, and that's because Roth IRA withdrawals are tax-free in the future and may not be subject to a required minimum distribution. Those first three strategies apply to retirement savings. And by the way, the spousal IRA is one of my favorite pieces of advice ever, because I think that there are a lot of people who don't realize if you have a spouse who is not earning income, you still have the ability to make a full IRA contribution for that person in their name. It's basically doubling up. So Great advice there. Any advice on other areas of life? Yeah. So now let's just talk about, you know, in in general, another strategy would be in thinking about your children. So how Mm -hmm. about college savings? What about making contributions to a 529? It's a tax-exempt account, may even be state tax deductible in the state that you live in. The next strategy would apply to people with, if you have a high-deductible health care plan, for example, take advantage of your HSA, the health savings account. That's an account that you can use to save and pay for health care expenses, and it's triple tax-free. Deductible contributions, tax-free growth, tax-free withdrawals. Essentially, you just laid out a list of all the places that we can save, right? We can save and invest to shelter income from taxes. We're lowering our adjusted gross income and reducing our tax burden with many of them. And and in the case of the Roths and the 529s and the HSAs, you get tax-sheltered growth, 
and with the Roth and the HSA tax-free withdrawals at the end of the road for qualified distributions. The next set of strategies take us into the landscape of investing. Yes. So the next three strategies really deal with how you invest your money and doing so in a way that is as tax efficient as possible. So these are the three that I want to talk about first. Before you get there, when you say tax efficient, define for me, what do you mean? Minimizing taxes where you can. So taking advantage of the tax rules and regulations that are ways to just reduce your overall tax burden. So it doesn't mean taking advantage of the system per se. It just means looking at ways to be more efficient so that your taxes are as low as possible. Great. Thanks. All right. What's first on this list? So the first is asset locations. That means ensuring that you're holding the right type of assets in the most advantageous type of investment account. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're investing in a a high-yield bond fund. So this kind of fund pays regular dividends. And if it's a high-yield fund, presumably high dividends. And those dividends are taxable, meaning you're paying ordinary income tax on that. And so it's not a tax-efficient investment. You're paying taxes like it's income. So the best place to hold a tax-inefficient investment like that is in a tax-advantaged account or an account which you don't pay taxes on, like an IRA or a 401k, for example. So asset location, the account in which you hold your investments. We're not talking about asset allocation, asset location. Right. All right. Got that. What about investments held outside of a tax-advantaged account? So that's the next strategy. For example, you have a brokerage account, a non-IRA account. And you want to hold tax-efficient investments inside that taxable account. So for example, what are some tax-efficient types of investments? Well, stock index funds are one, for example. There are funds that are specifically tax-managed or funds that are intended to be held inside these taxable vehicles and therefore have a lower tax burden to you. Another is municipal bond funds. Um, If you own municipal bonds, you certainly want to own them inside a brokerage account and not inside an IRA. Because... Otherwise, you're sort of wasting the superpower of those municipal bonds, right? Right, exactly. Municipal bonds are, you know, you're not paying uh, the same tax rates on municipal bonds. And if you own municipal bonds within your state, for example, it's a, if you live in Maryland and you have a Maryland municipal bond, you may not owe tax or state income tax on that bond. So holding it inside a brokerage account where you're going to be receiving a 1099 and paying tax on it every year, if you can keep that tax burden lower by holding investments within that account that are efficient or that have a lower tax burden, now you've overall, you've reduced your overall tax burden. But you don't want to hold that inside an IRA because municipal bonds, because they offer all of these advantages from a tax standpoint, typically have lower yields than similarly risked bonds. And so therefore, yeah, you're sort of wasting your tax advantage and maybe ending up with a slightly lower yield by holding it in in a retirement vehicle. What's next on your list? So the third strategy in this category is tax loss harvesting. And this is something I talk about a lot. 
So what is tax loss harvesting? So let's just say you sell a security this year and the price that you sell that security is more than the price that you purchased it for. So that sale now results in a capital gain. But in addition to that well-performing stock that now you have a capital gain on, let's say you also own a stock or an investment in your portfolio that is not doing so well. Well, you could go in and intentionally sell that stock for a loss and then use that loss to offset the capital gain that you created by selling the stock that went up in value. And you can also use it to offset $3,000 in ordinary income, right? So there are other ways to reduce your tax burden as well. Yeah, perhaps if you know if you have losses that are greater than your capital gains, you can use a little bit of that up to $3,000 per year against your ordinary income. And if you have even more than that in losses, you can carry it forward to future years. So if you have something with a big loss, you not only can use it to your advantage this year, but you may be able to use that to carry forward for future years. You are just powering through these. We have covered saving strategies. We've covered investing strategies. The next set of strategies, they actually may be even more valuable because they deal with spending, they deal with withdrawals, and and anybody who is really focused on retirement is thinking about this very thing because they are really honing in on retirement income. For help with these strategies, we're going to bring on a special guest. Her name is Jessica DeBull. Jessica is a Director of Advanced Planning Strategy and Tools with Edelman Financial Engines, and she is a certified financial planner and an enrolled agent, which means she is a tax professional authority authorized by the government it's a big deal, guys, to represent taxpayers in matters involving the IRS. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you and Isabel today. Nice to see you too. All right. The big question, how do you help people reduce their taxes with their spending in retirement? There are several withdrawal strategies that I can share with you. And I think one of the primary ones, everyone's heard of required minimum distribution or RMDs. Those rules have changed with the SECURE Act 2.0. So as of January 2023, if you're age 73, you have to begin taking RMDs from retirement accounts. Now, there is an exception to this that applies if you're still working, but that only applies to employer-sponsored plans, things like your 401k. That doesn't apply for IRAs. So these RMDs have to be taken by December 31st, and there is no extension to that. The only exception is that your very first RMD can be delayed till April of the following year, but delaying that would result in actually two RMDs in one year, so that might not be the best tax strategy for someone. RMDs are taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. But there is a way to get around this, and that is to look at using your RMD as a way to make your charitable donations to a qualified charity. So up to $100,000 per year of RMDs can be donated to a charity without being taxed. I mean, that is just a wonderful way to do good for others while also doing good for yourself, right? Absolutely. And that's actually per person. So a married couple could do $100,000 each in that scenario. That covers RMDs. What's up next on your list? 
So the next withdrawal strategy is kind of continuing that topic of charitable donations. If you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can donate to charity and you're inclined to do so, there are some tax benefits that may be available to you. So if you donate by December 31st of this year, you may be able to claim that as a deduction on your taxes. Now, this does depend on whether you itemize or take the standard deduction that we talked about earlier in the segment. The amount you can deduct also depends on the nature of the donation you're making. There are other options, though, when donating, and that may include things like real estate or antiques. Donating appreciated stock is a common strategy, but that's limited to 30% of your AGI. All right. If I am counting right, Isabel and Jessica, between the two of you, we have actually covered 10 different strategies. What's the last one on your list that people can use to help improve their tax situation? So the last strategy, and I think this is a big one, is really focusing on tax smart withdrawal strategies. Tax planning as a whole is a very personalized endeavor. You know, we have to look at everything that we've talked about in terms of brackets and credits and you know, income levels. But one personalized approach may be looking at, you know, first, delay claiming Social Security until age 70. Mm. It creates a bigger benefit, gives time to make IRA withdrawals without increasing the taxable portion of your Social Security. Then, starting at retirement, you would withdraw from tax-deferred accounts up to that standard deduction or that itemized deduction amount. So you're offsetting ordinary income essentially, but not more than that. And then in your taxable accounts, if they can provide your income on your own, you have the ability to actually use those tax deferred account withdrawals to convert those to Roth IRA balances, essentially doing Roth conversions and then paying the taxes from those taxable accounts. Then, once your Social Security benefits start, you can reduce your IRA withdrawals to limit the taxation on those benefits. Your additional income goes into the formula, the provisional income formula, to determine how much of your Social Security benefit is taxable. So those other income sources change that. So if you can limit or reduce those IRA withdrawals or distributions, you can limit the amount of your Social Security that may be exposed to taxation. And then the last thing is, you know, once those taxable accounts have been exhausted, then you can use tax-free withdrawals from Roth IRA accounts to supplement that tax-deferred RMD for retirement income. What's so amazing to me or interesting to me, Jessica, is how the strategies that you laid out for spending and withdrawals really hinge on the strategies that Isabel laid out for how you line up your accounts and your assets in the first place. And so clearly, this is something that really requires planning, really requires a a view into the future. Earlier, we mentioned that Edelman Financial Engines can help in more ways with tax planning and with strategies. Can you explain how that works? Absolutely. If it wasn't clear from what Isabel shared earlier, let me spell it out a little bit more. Tax planning should be done year-round, especially in the next few years when we're talking about those expiration of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the things that Isabel was talking about earlier with higher tax rates potentially in the future. That makes right now a really ideal time to take action. You know, with the return that you just completed that you filed for 2022, we have in-house tax experts and CPAs who can take your 2022 return 
analyze it and give you a complete overview of your whole tax situation. I think that tax planning truly starts with understanding where we're at today, right? Really digging into the return as it's already been filed and understanding that information. And that can really empower our clients to be able to come in and and take some really good steps using some of the strategies that Isabel and I have talked about and give you a really clear roadmap going forward. So from this report that we can generate a tax planner can give you that guidance and those specific recommendations to potentially help you reduce your taxes in the future and just be more tax efficient. You know, there's a lot of talk about Medicare premiums. Your Medicare premiums are impacted by your income. You know, it's referred to as IRMA. And so we can help with that and help you plan for strategies to mitigate those increases in the future. And of course, you know, we talked a little bit about state taxes and you mentioned New York taxes. It's personalized to the state you live in because that is something that's very important that we have to consider when we're making these choices. So it is dependent on the state you live in and your local tax laws. But these services are only available if you become a client. So please give us a call, talk with a planner like Isabel and see how we can help. Thank you so much, Jessica, for the amazing information and for the the great offer. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will take advantage of it. Isabel, thank you as always for being here. If you've got a question for a financial planner on taxes, retirement income, estate planning, insurance, really any financial planning topic, go to everydaywealth.com, scroll down, look for the blue Ask a Question button, click on it, type in your info and send it my way. As we have been talking about all show, it is really likely that taxes are going up in the years ahead, but there are steps that you can take today to reduce what you pay in the years to come. So please consider all of these different strategies that Isabel and Jessica covered. Call Edelman Financial Engines if you have any questions and be sure to keep tuning in. Subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.